Welcome to Trashy Royals, friends. My name is Stacy. Hey, y'all. I'm Alicia. I love this episode. I love this story. There have been five women beheaded inside the walls of the Tower of London. Four of those, not beheaded personally by Henry VIII, sure, but on, his, on his command, one by his daughter Mary. Today on Trashy Royals, we are covering the first of these because it is May 19th and it is the 485th anniversary of the murder of Anne Boleyn. It's a big day in this house, year after year after, after year. year. As long as you've known me, I, yeah. The blinding rage you feel we... for the injustice. Oh, it's, I, I'm, I'm mad about it and I will never not be <laughs> mad about it. So we set this up a little bit in last week's Sunday story, where I talked about Catherine of Aragon saying to her ladies, when they come to talk ill of Anne to Catherine of Aragon. Sure, the interloper, yeah. Catherine will say, pray for her, because the time would come when you shall pity and lament her case. Prescient words. Today is that day. Today is the day that you will pity and lament her case. We are pulling out the very first Trashy Tutors episode out of the Patreon vault, originally aired May 19th, 2019, where we get into the Trashy Divorce, because he divorces her before he murders her. Good Lord. Every time you hear me say That's called winning the divorce. No, it's not. No, it's no, not. It's not. Henry VIII is a monster. He is a monster. Every time you hear me say 483 years in the next mm-hmm. 40 or so minutes, please substitute the number 485 in. Just add two more years. Mm-hmm. Two more years that Anne Boleyn was unjustly murdered. Oh, and I get London. to be mad about it. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. So, Trashy Tutors, we've done, I don't know, 60 plus of these. Yeah, I didn't, on... rec- I didn't recall that this was the first one until you Very first reminded one. me. Makes mm-hmm. sense. I love it. We mm-hmm. open at the close. We have done a lot of these. And in this episode, in re-listening and kind of prepping it for this release, we talk about 10 other episodes. Oh, we should follow up on that. We should do that. We have done all of those on Patreon. Mm-hmm. Which leads us to big news, because we (laughs) want to find a new way to give you more free trash candy. A little bit easier than the quarantine link, since we are now... We're moving toward the other side. Moving towards the other side of that. Stacey, you have created a whole new Bitly link. Okay, this is this is it. This, I think, is our last... This is the the brand now. It's bit.ly slash trash candy. That will take you to free stuff on our Patreon, patreon.com slash trashy divorces, but you can skip... All that, if you're not a subscriber, just go to bit.ly slash trash candy, and that will take you to a catalog of free stuff. Easier to type into your phone. So much easier. All that. Bit.ly trash candy. This week, for this week only, you're going to find a two-parter, two episodes on the love letters of Henry VIII these are, to Anne Boleyn. These are fairly hilarious, by the way. I'm pretty good. Focus it a little bit in on uh, some happier times. If you're into... Anne Boleyn, like I am, perhaps you may enjoy this two-part series on, with dramatic readings, of Henry's letters to Anne. Also, one last thing before we get this episode started. If you are looking for a terrific reference, which gets into the 118 days in 1536 that we are focusing on in this episode, I cannot recommend highly enough The Lady in the Tower by Alison Weir. It is a well-done, beautifully researched book, highly valuable resource. Lady in the Tower is going to deep dive you into a little bit more of a high-level primer today, but that is a fantastic place to go if you are into the downfall and murder of Annie B. And just Tudor stuff generally. I mean, Allison Weir is fantastic. You, yeah, you have a you have a library of Tudor fanaticism, and I know she's a prominent f- feature in that library. So excellent researcher. Okay. So I think that about does the business. You ready to do this? Let's go, go, go. It's time for trashy Tudor, y'all. <laughs> Are you excited, Stacy? I could not be more excited. You're about wearing the appreciate color black. Tutors. No. It is time for trashy tutors. 
It's always time for Trashy Tutors to you. <laughs> Love the tutors so damn much. We open Trashy Divorces with my Henry, Henry VIII. VIII story. Mm-hmm. So there is no other way in my world to start Trashy Tutors monthly series on Patreon than to start with Anne Boleyn. Listeners maybe don't know this. but It's I've her death been, day. Today is her death day. It, it is. I have been an obsessive researcher about the history of England for like two decades, as long as you've known me. I'm obsessed. This is my scientific speciality. It is my go-to soap opera, albeit a historical one. It's my tasty sidewalk trash candy. First episode, Anne Boleyn. We always start at the end of something, and this is my actual favorite murder, and involves the trashiest divorce in the history of divorces, so I'm starting with Anne. Okay. Okay, so I'm actually amazed at myself that I covered all of Henry's six queens in 30 minutes on the first episode, because that could never mm -hmm. happen now. Welcome to Trashy Tutors. If you have not listened to that episode, the story I'm about to tell, if you're confused AF, go back and listen to that. That's a good high-level primer, and this story is going to be true crime adjacent, but today we have a very narrow focus, as it is the anniversary of the murder of the queen of my heart, Anne Boleyn, Annie B. We are specifying the lens to 1536, January the 1st to May the 19th today. It's the 483rd anniversary of her murder. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going there. (laughs) Anne Boleyn got murdered. She got screwed big time. And I'm mad about it. Yeah, there's a sham trial and trumped up charges and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, like you're not wrong. It's just... The intensity of your white-hot rage after 483 years is kind of amusing. She is one of the most talked-about women in the world, and each generation or time shift makes her over into what they think she is. Mm -hmm. We will never stop talking about her. I will never stop talking about her. She is a fascinating person who changed the course of history. So here's the tricky thing. We don't have a lot that survives by her. We have a few notes in her book of hours— and very, very rare writings and scribbles. Once she was beheaded, she got erased. Everything else that we know about her is peripheral. We have her household accounts, Henry's love letters to her lovingly collected by the Vatican Moral Council, other people's letters and impressions, and a shit ton of correspondence by the Spanish ambassador, who is nowhere close to being impartial. Let's talk about this guy for a second. Right, because Catherine of Aragon was Spanish. Eustace Chapuy is his name, and he's been hanging out at the English court for lots of decades. He witnesses all of Anne's rise and fall. He is shrewd, and he is working for the Spanish Roman Empire, and in no way is going to be impartial. He is Team Catherine of Aragon, Team Princess Mary. Sure. (sighs) Okay. He is around for her rise and her fall, and much of the secondary sources we have come from him. Not an impartial dude. Let's just set the stage there. Sure. So with all this impartiality rolling around, it provides a very great opportunity for fictional authors to use their own imaginations in telling Anne's story or retelling what they think her story is. It gets all kinds of lenses that are fucking wrong. You have to go to the source material and weave together the families and the court factions and who has what against who. It's a big woo. You also have to combine it with some combination scoops like religion and Chapuy and that ass face Cromwell and how even 483 years the entire system can be stacked aggressively and quickly against one woman just to preserve the toxic masculinity of powerful men. So seems, what's her seems like a, yeah, seems like a story. So what's her story? What's the truth? Did she commit adultery? Did she commit incest with her brother? Is this the uh, original Jamie and Cersei? Is she a witch? TV is wrong, fiction is crap. Let's look at what we can tell. Just to set the time frame again into perspective. Anne's downfall takes as long as Trashy Divorces has been alive. January 1st to May 19th today. Interesting. 
1536 is where we start. It's January the 1st. Anne has 138 days to live. Yikes. Well, that's a stark note. Starts out as a rockin' Dick Clark fucking New Year. Everything is going great. Henry is the supreme head of the Church of England. Anne and Henry are about to celebrate their third year of marriage. Anne is pregnant again. Then, even better for Henry's purposes, January 7th, his first wife, who the Catholic people of England think he never really divorced, dies in cold fuck wet castle wasteland. Henry and Anne throw a party at court. They wear yellow to the celebration. Catherine of Aragon is denied a state funeral. She's only given credit for being Arthur's widow. The first son that she married never is Henry's wife or the Queen of England for 26 years. She is buried as Arthur's widow. Whoa. Her marriage was done when he died in 1500. It's so sad. Catherine of Aragon is going to be viewed as a martyr by women and Catholics. And I have a soft spot for Anne. Anne Boleyn's my favorite. But Catherine of Aragon is an inspiration to all first wives everywhere. (sighs) She's a trashy tutor in the future. But now no one can dispute Henry's marriage to Anne. Catherine's dead. Anne's preggers again. And certainly the long-awaited son, the son that's going to happen, is on its way and everything's coming up fucking rainbows. Okay. January 24th. Joust for life, yo. Henry needs to joust. He loves it. And it doesn't matter that he's middle-aged and it's 1536. Right. 45 years old. Joust for life. Sure. So he decides he's going to joust for life and he gets fucking knocked off the horse and the horse falls on top of him. And that middle-aged charm is not going to see him through. He is unconscious for a number of hours. This is a national fucking emergency. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He has head and body injuries that he is going to suffer from for the rest of his life. It marks a change in his personality. He becomes brutal and cruel And there's another sideline episode that I don't have 45 minutes for right now, but has to do with McLeod syndrome and being Kel positive and how it affected his wives weren't the problem with his miscarriages and he had a disease that makes him fucking crazy. Anyway, Henry is not dead, but should be. Suffering a head trauma can definitely lead to personality changes. in addition to, but like his, his personality... This begins his descent into, he's been the crown prince of Europe. He is beautiful and celebrated and kind and worthy. And now he begins to start his move into how everybody thinks of him as a tyrant. January 24th. Anne has 116 days to live. Mm. January 29th. Anne is going to blame his joust for life fall on this next disaster. Anne miscarries. The baby's about three and a half months, so old enough to tell that it would have been a boy. Oh, God. Eusti Chapuis, Spanish ambassador, writes back to Spain that she has miscarried of her savior. If she had just delivered a boy, everything in history would have been different. I mean, as long as that child lived, but she has miscarried of her savior. The long-promised, long-awaited son is gone. Anne says it's the shock about hearing of the danger of Henry. Henry is disconsolate. God will not give me male children. And if he hasn't already started to look elsewhere, which is his eyes kind of has already turned towards Jane Seymour. He now definitely, I think he was already on the lookout for who he was going to hook up with during Anne's pregnancy. Cause that's what he's done with every other pregnancy right. that anybody else has had. So Now that this has happened, he is full front charm assault on Jane Seymour. By March 18th, Chapuis, insider dirtbag rat bastard, is writing back to Spain that Henry's attentions have turned to Jane. And maybe Henry's said to Cromwell, his minister of state, hey, uh, could you do me a solid and help me try to get rid of the wife I have? Done with her. By April 1st in court, rumors begin to circulate that Anne's done. She has no son. They've talked less than 10 times. And she is exposed to every arrow coming her way. 
Rumors are that Anne has caught Jane Seymour, who is one of Anne's ladies-in-waiting, on Henry's lap. Now, to add insult to injury, Jane Seymour is 100% everything opposite of Anne. Like, you're always going to go to the alternate. Anne is small and dark and witty and sexy AF, and Jane is, like, blonde and a little plump and all English rosy, but she's not a firecracker. She is meek, she is humble, or at least she does a really good job putting it on. Anyway, I digress. Chapuis, the Spanish ambassador, is just waiting for the downfall of the concubine cake. He is all in to make this happen. He's a rat. Rat. Word on the street, all the rumors, Anne has incurred his royal displeasure. He's playing with another girl. Henry goes in so far as sending a purse of gold coins to Jane and a letter. Like pretty much his, will you be my side hustle? And Jane, meek, obedient, humble, doesn't open it. Sends the letter back unopened and the gold and says, oh, but sir, if you could do this when I make the fortune of a marriage, you know, when I have that blessing. But like she wouldn't even be. Now, how do you get Henry riled up? Tell him fucking no. Okay. Okay. Jane is playing Henry like a fiddle. And she's had a really good example with Annie B that she's been watching in court. And Henry's wanting away, maybe more, but Anne's still in rotation with international matters. They're planning a trip to Calais. Like, Anne's not out of it yet, but rumor is sweeping the court. And Anne's still a big super threat to the Catholic religion. Not her per se, but the role that she has causing a problem. She's not causing the problem. Henry is causing the problem. He's been excommunicated forever ago. And Anne's a scandal of Christendom. But let's talk about spring of 1536. Henry Tudor needs a lot more cash for his country. And Cromwell is pushing him to shut down the monasteries. A lot like today. They're living tax-free, right? Like, they have a lot of money and wealth coming in to the monasteries, and Henry needs cash. So, these are Catholic monasteries, or have they been brought under the Church of England at this point? That's part of the transition. Okay. They're trying to bring them under the Church of England and change I'm everything sure out. Sure, uh, just going to be smooth and easy to do. So, Anna's firmly like 100% against it, but not against it. She's like, okay, cool. I'm for this new religion too, and we can probably change the focuses of church from claiming all the riches and getting some of that into your little gold coffers. But listen, Like, the church has been the center of social structure in our country for hundreds of years, and it actually does a lot of good. You're not taking care of your poor, you're sick, you're infirm, you're hungry, or you're homeless. The churches are. They probably don't need all the loot they have, but you can't close them down and leave them white. They're providing a pretty crucial service. So, yay, if you want to wipe them out... But you're going to need to be a long-term thinker here, bucko, and provide a social services infrastructure to care for your people if you take that away. It's going to be bad if you don't. I'm just saying, I'm only your genius and brilliant wife, and I can't understand why you're being such an idiot about this. Anne's never held her tongue. Cromwell and Henry don't like this. you got a lot of shit building. You feel it. April 12th, Passion Sunday. Two things happen today. Anne's pastor, John Skip, gives a sermon, which really does rally to Anne's side in her long-term thinking plan about the dissolution of the monasteries. It is definitely against Cromwell and his crap ideas that he's filling the king's head with. The second thing that happened, Chapuis is kind of forced to kiss Anne's hand. He is put awkwardly in the social situation. He has gone for three years without ever acknowledging her as queen. And now, because of an awkward way everybody's standing, he has to. And he's like, oh, shit, I'm going to be in trouble with Spain. Like, he has been Princess Mary all the way. So now he's got to watch out for his thing. (sighs) Two enemies are created that day, cemented that day. Chapuis and Cromwell. And Cromwell and Chapuis have both seen what Anne does to her enemies. You only need to look at Woolsey for that. It's not the point of this story. 
We're focusing on the crime today. However, Cromwell is like, nope, I'm not getting caught in the spider's trap, and proceeds to get uh, 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 sick and leaves court about this time, pretty much to plot her demise. He also happens to stay in pretty close communication with Chapuis because Chapuis is back at court slinging all the shit, feeding into Cromwell. Cromwell's feeding back to him. Cromwell's talking to her ladies. He has spies everywhere. What kind of shit is Chapuis slinging? Rumors in the court. The queen's having sex with others. She's cheating. She's a witch. That's why she miscarried. Her sassiness is going to be her downfall. Like, she has played the courtly game of love, which is not, it is romantic in a literary kind. Like, nobody, she's the queen. Everyone's supposed to adore her. Right. It's it's the game of courtly love. But this is going to get turned back on her. Factions, fucking Cromwell. He decides... Because Henry's been whispering in his ear, and he wants the dissolution of the monasteries, that it's time to plot to do away with Anne, and he just can't do away with her. He figures out how he can turn her screw, but he has to get away with everyone powerful that supports her as well. And he starts this plan, and not one single bit of it can fail, because if it fails, he's done. Okay, so... So Cromwell is determined. Okay. So each link leads to the next and it cannot. As long as she's alive and the other people he's gunning for are alive, they're a threat. This plan has to be successful for him. April 30th. Rumors flying around court. There's a scene with Henry and Anne where she has the baby princess Elizabeth in her arms, like begging him. Because Cromwell's already talking to Henry by this point. Yeah, I'm investigating. There's some things and... Anna's like, tell me what the hell is going on. Here's your child. I'm your wife. Like, it's a big scene around court. Anne makes Matthew Parker promise to take care of Elizabeth. He's one of her courtiers and pastors, maybe. If anything happens to her, Matthew Parker does take care of Elizabeth until the day he dies. Excellent. Next day, May Day, May the 1st. Big day of celebration. Greenwich Palace. It's May Day. It's a big party. There's going to be jousts and tournaments. And yesterday was a bad scene, but that was yesterday. And today they're together and it's time to party and it's a big tournament and it's a court thing. And maybe today's the day it all changes. In the middle of the tournament, a little messenger comes to Henry. He gets some unwelcome news. Cromwell is writing that Mark Smeaton, one of the court musicians, has confessed to three occasions of adultery with Anne Boleyn. And let me just go ahead and fill you in quickly. Cromwell has had uh, Smeaton in the fucking rack for a few weeks of legitimate torture to gain his confession to false crimes that he didn't commit. Henry is, Henry's color changes, talks to the messenger, orders an investigation, gets up, and walks away. Now, oh, sorry, one other thing. Henry Norris, who is in Henry's privy chamber, one of his BFFs, wipes his fucking ass. He's groom of the stool, is also implicated in this letter. So he takes Henry Norris with him. A few of his guys gets up, walks away. He talks to Henry Norris later, and Henry's like, it's not me, dude. Quiz me all you want, but I didn't do this. He can't be tortured. Henry Norris can't be tortured. Is groom of the stool an actual thing? Yeah. Groom of the stool. That's your job is to wipe the king's butt. You're the closest confidant to the king. You're wiping his ass every day. Yeah. Groom of the stool. Hey, trash pandas. When you need a brain break from your day, let me recommend the game June's Journey for Android and iPhone. It's a hidden object mystery game where you are solving a murder, uncovering family secrets, and I don't know, exposing official corruption? all in an extremely stylish 1920s setting. Every scene takes you deeper into the mystery and introduces you to an expansive cast of characters as June Parker explores the questions surrounding her sister's apparent murder-suicide at the family's beachfront estate. Add your own elements to the island, from lush gardens to gorgeous new buildings. 
This story has so many twists and turns. Right now, we are on a global journey attempting to rescue June's niece, Virginia. It's a great combo of gameplay. It's a memory puzzle, a design project, an intriguing storyline with genuinely fabulous art. When you want to let your mind wander, relax into this glorious 1920s murder mystery and get lost in the fun. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Trashy tutors. I'm horrified that that was a job. That's not still a job, is it? I don't think so. Okay. I, pro- I, I don't know. I just, nope. I think, I think Elizabeth II can do that sort of thing for herself. I am unsure of what ro- current royal protocol custom is. Groom okay. of the stool. Oof. Henry gets up, walks away, ghosted, is never going to see Anne again. Pulls on Anne what he did with Catherine of Aragon in 1529, right. all those years ago. Anne's not going to have too long to live with it, though, like yeah. Catherine of Aragon did. He leaves. She's attended with the usual attention at court. She has no idea, right. thoroughly unaware that it is about to go down. This is her final night of freedom, even though she doesn't know it. Countdown perspective here. She's not really guilty of anything yet. Like, Smeaton's confessed, but he's been tortured. Cromwell's brought in Henry Norris. He's a peerage. He can't be tortured. So Cromwell's shaking the trees, looking for more evidence. To fall out. Anne has 18 days to live. The morning of May the 2nd, Anne is woken. Gets dressed. Her uncle, her uncle fucking hates her, comes to her and says, Hey, I'm arresting you for treason. Get in this boat taken through Traitor's Gate, brought to the Tower of London. She is staying in the rooms that she stayed in for her coronation less than three years ago. And no one's thinking she's going to die at this point. Like, she's committed some offenses against Henry, and he's already shaken down wife number one. But, you know, she's accused of treason and some sex crimes. Henry is mortified. Henry disappears from public life, which is riding down the road and hanging out with Jane Seymour. But we'll call it disappears from public life. Anne is surrounded by her enemies in the tower all appointed by Henry and Cromwell. So all these ladies who were definitely not on her side. Kingston, the prisoner, the guard, the head dude at the Tower of London. Okay. And his wife is there, her mean, nasty aunts. Like, she is attended by people who suck. And she's arrested. Yesterday, she was the fucking Mayday tournament. Right. Today, she's in the Tower of London, accused of treason, and adultery and, like, high crimes and misdemeanors. So Anne, who is normally so cool and so calculated, now kind of has a break. And she just starts to berserka. She is rambling out loud, trying to make sense of it. And she's got all these people listening to... She does not spend a moment alone from this moment to her beheading. Not one private second by herself. And they're all listening. Well, there was this time that I talked to Weston about him cheating on his wife. And there was this time I talked to Henry Norris about, why aren't you marrying her? Oh, you want to have me? Ha ha ha. Like everything, every conversation that could be thoroughly innocent Mm -hmm. is being heard by her enemies and woefully misconstrued. Ripe for misinterpretation. All of her faction is like, what the hell? This can't be. Like, she's made a lot of enemies at court, but there are definitely people who are pro-new religion, mm-hmm. pro-Anne. 
and not everyone is on board, right, with Henry replacing himself as God. Now that Catherine of Aragon's at, like, everything is moving. And I think now it's just, it's, Cromwell has his plan in motion. Mm -hmm. And it was a clever plan because he set it up. Now Anne's blabbering all this shit. He's got a lot more evidence to bring in a whole new sweep of people. Like, all he needed to do was lay it in the groundwork and factions and gossip and everybody's own um, uh, hubris, right, is just going to put his plan in motion. Because of her rambling the day before, May 3rd, Sir Francis Weston and William Brereton are arrested, pro-Anne factions. Sir Thomas Wyatt is arrested a little bit later. He's a poet, pays extreme homage to Anne. Thomas Wyatt's the only one who really gets out alive. And I think he was caught up in the net just by accident. Like Anne's talking about him too. He didn't do any, he is not like his wife petitioned due to the closeness with Cromwell, but he doesn't get out of the tower until almost the end of 1536. Wow. After everybody else is long gone. Another guy's wrapped up in it. I mean, the worst of it though happens to her beloved brother, George Boleyn. He and Anne stand accused of incest, which I mean, uh, yeah, it just is not a thing they did. Yeah. And the worst part of it is that George's wife is the one that sells him down the river. Another trashy tutors. I'm just laying the seeds. Okay. His wife is the one that sells him out to okay. Cromwell. Was she over the marriage? Another trashy tutors. Okay. May 6th. Anne has now realized... Oh, fuck. Like, she hears all these other guys are, like, now he's got five other guys locked up with her. And Anne realizes that uh, there's no one coming to save her. The only person that could have the opportunity to save her from this situation is herself. She has begged for paper and a pen for days to write a letter to Henry. Like, if I could just, ill communication, like, if I could just talk to you. Then I could figure out what who was talk who was talking. The only people talking to Henry are Cromwell and the pro Seymour faction because Cromwell's arrested everybody else and they're in the fucking tower. Anne's like, nope, gonna do it myself. So she is sassy. She's had four days to freak the hell out, and she sees the writing on the wall. She knows how this is going down. If she can only appeal to Henry, Cromwell, no intention. Of letting her write a sealed letter to Henry. That just... Yeah. It's too shaky for his plans. Yeah. So he finally agrees that she can have a scribe. Go ahead and just put a post-it note on this. I'm about to talk to you about the infamous letter from the tower. Hotly debated. Historians say Anne couldn't have really written this. The way that it gets found, it's got a lot of historical register... We can, I, I am a firm believer that Anne, in fact, did write this letter, and I'm going to tell you why. Okay. Okay. So maybe she can't write a letter, but maybe she can scribe it. Okay, Kingston, guard of the tower, bring a scribe in. So that way, because Cromwell's got to read it. Like, he's not giving shit to the king. And when this is over, he sure as shit doesn't give it to the king. Okay, so here's what happens. She writes this whole letter not as a queen, but as a woman to a man, a wife to a husband, it is familiar and intimate in its details. Like I, this is why I don't think this kind of missup can be forged. In her first paragraph, I'm just going to ad lib it here. I don't know what I've done to piss you off, but how dare you send my uncle in to tell me that I've done it? That actually I, seems quite fair. Right? You can't even come yourself. You're right. going to send my uncle in? Yeah. I don't know what I've done to incur your displeasure, but you've got the uncle who hates me? Right. Okay. Second paragraph. I only, I know I'm queen because you've made me so, not because of my birth. I am dependent on you for raising me up. But if you recall, man, our foundation was built on love. And I know your fancy has turned to another subject, but hey, you chose me. And here she takes herself out of all regal stuff. Like, I'm Anne Boleyn. I'm not your wife, the queen. I am a girl. Anne Boleyn, you pursued me relentlessly. 
you're the one who raised me up. And as Anne Boleyn, it is because I was good at the game that you're going to bring me down. And if my death will bring you happiness, sir, if it will make you happy, then go ahead and do it. So be it. But may God forgive your soul because I'm innocent as fuck. God's going to clear my name, but how is he going to judge you? This is your great sin, not mine. It is, I mean, it's all written in very flowery English, but this is what it comes down to. She closes it out. And hey, all those other dudes you've locked up, they are as innocent as I am. And if you have ever loved me, you need to let them go. Kill me if it makes you happy, but don't add on to your great sin here, bucko. Love your loyal and faithful wife. She is laying it out. It is honest. It is outspoken. She is not holding her tongue. And it is written in just such a, even though it's flowery English, Mm -hmm. it is so familiar. It's amazing. Cromwell does not give this letter to Henry. Kingston gives the letter to Cromwell and Cromwell promptly puts it underneath his seat in his office where it is found upon his death by his manservant, which gets turned over into this archive of letters, which how we actually know about it today. Okay. Fuck Cromwell. (laughs) May 12th. Four of those men sitting at the tower tried at Westminster. Weston, Brereton, Norris all maintain their innocence. Mark Smeaton, the one that was tortured, does plead guilty. I am pretty sure that he was given some promises for that guilty plea that were not fulfilled and has one week to live. May 14th, Archbishop Cranmer signs the divorce papers declaring Henry and Anne's marriage null and void. Wow, that's fast. So technically it's over. Yeah. The marriage is done. Like she has, she's not queen. The marriage is done. Elizabeth has been bastardized. So like technically... We didn't have to go to the beheading spot. Like, let her live. Send her in a nunnery. But nope. If she's alive, she's a threat. And Cromwell can't have his plan fuck up now. So, May 15th. Great Hall in the Tower of London. 2,000 spectators. Anne and George are tried together. She is accused of adultery, incest, and treason. She is tried by a jury of 27 of her peers, including her asshole uncle. Most of the records of this trial are mostly wiped because George and Anne are not going down without some truth telling. Not indignant about it, not mean about it, but okay, hang tight. This is where it gets fun. The charges against her are just diabolical yeah like you diabolically salute seduce these men way over the carnal appetites you witch you Mm -hmm. know she's made out to be a sexual predator like now that she has disgraced the king now we have to set to save the king's integrity so we're gonna make her to be the biggest slut shaming campaign that has ever happened henry is not at the trial Hmm. (laughs) surprise Well, now that his masculinity is in question, right? All right. So during George part of the trial, they give George a letter that Anne has, like George and Anne have exchanged. And they're like, would you read this letter and verify that you wrote it? Don't read it out loud. And George Boleyn is like, oh yeah, this letter where Anne and I are laughing at the king about his terrible poetry and how he's not skillful in bed, how he has no vigor or potency. You want me to, you want me not to read this letter? I do remember this letter. (laughs) Yeah, I do remember the letter that says all this that you don't want me to read out loud. I mean, the outcome is certainly determined. Like, it's not ever going to be anything different. Right. Anne and George are convicted on all counts. At her trial, it is it is a sham. Like, yeah, yeah. She says, I am willing to believe that you have sufficient reasons for what you have done, but then they must be other than those which have been produced in court, for I am clear of the offenses which you have laid to my charge. And at this point, like most of London knows this is a sham too. For as much as the court rumor mill is spinning against Anne, Anne, who has been in the public's eye, public enemy number one for years, like people are like, hey, wait a minute. Hold up, hold up. May 17th. Anne 
gets to watch from her room in the tower as all the men tried with her, who were innocent AF, are beheaded below her window on the tower green, including her beloved George and all of her friends, like her friends who were only guilty of being pro-Anne and caught up in Cromwell's little honey dick trap. Cromwell's plan has worked. He's not only taken Anne down, but he's beheaded her most ardent supporters as well. These are people very important in their families and court factions. So cut that off. Everybody underneath them is playing by the fucking rules. King's BFF's no longer in his ear. and shitty. But Henry, who technically could burn her at the stake based on her charges, is like, no, I'm going to be a stand-up guy. And get the swordsman from Calais to come and just behead you. Got a hundred crowns for him. Now, Calais is in France. Mm-hmm. London is in England. Mm-hmm. So Henry is called for the swordsman from Calais back like May 2nd. It's not a, you got to take time to prep. But the swordsman's on his way. And she goes to bed the night of May 17th, praying and... Again, hoping Henry somehow gets her letter and prepping herself to die. May 18th. Today's it. She's ready. 6.30 a.m. She's prepped herself. She has prepared herself all night to die. She asks for mass to be said. She tells Kingston she wants mass. Like She knows it's happening. And now she needs as many of those witnesses in the room to listen to her last confession and for her to receive Holy Sacrament, because this is her reckoning with God. Like this is her time to prepare. Like, and, is, and it's, and she's reverted to her Catholic upbringing. It sounds like, I mean, but even their church of England was still very Catholic. I give, but you still had your customs and prayers. And, uh, Shepui has a spy there to give him notes from this little encounter she participates in all the holy sacraments. The judgment of court is handed down. She is going to declare her innocence to God. She's not going to hell. Yeah, yeah. She's just not. She prays that she is innocent, denies all adultery. You know, there. this is compelling proof that she's just not guilty. But there's no last minute pardon, even though word of this, like this is going to be her final testament. Henry signs her warrant for execution. About about 11, there's a little knock at her door. She's waiting to be beheaded at noon. There's been a last-minute reprieve, and she thinks, oh, God, Henry, finally, yes. The swordsman from Calais isn't here yet. We're going to do this shit tomorrow. <clears throat> not, not great. So mm. she has another day to panic about sure. death. She becomes very hysterical, and she's laughing like, it's a good thing for him. I have a little neck. You know, like she's spends the rest of the day closeted with her priest. No more days to live. Right. May 19th, 7 a.m. Tuesday. It's the saddest taco Tuesday in the history of the universe. Like three Fridays ago, she's celebrating May Day. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. today she's going to die. At 8 a.m., the she's taken out her lady's dresser. She's taken out. And she, I think, really begins to believe it when she sees the scaffold there. Like, this is really, there are no last-minute reprieves. And there's Cromwell, her uncle, all the guys who fucking tried her. And she asks permission to speak, which she does, and really does ensure that the her family... And Elizabeth, they're like, she's not cruel to the king. It's, I, this is a, mm. there's something in this to me that is very, um, twist a knife in your back. If these are the last words that Henry VIII hears that you've said, there's something to this. Good Christian people, I am come hither to die for according to the law, and by the law I am judged to die, and therefore I will speak nothing against it. I am come hither too, accuse no man nor to speak anything of that whereof I am accused and condemned to die. But I pray God save the king and send him long to reign over you, for not a gentler nor a more merciful prince was there never, and to me he was ever a good, a gentle, 
a sovereign Lord. And if any person will meddle of my cause, I require them to judge the best. And thus I take my leave of the world and you all. And I heartily desire you all pray for me. Damn it, I wasn't going to cry. Oh, Lord, have mercy on me. To God, I commend my soul. She's like, yeah, I've been tried. I'm not guilty. Neither are they. And uh, no one's ever been kinder to you. Fuck off, Henry. It's such a polite fuck you. Lancelot de Carl, who is there, provides a moving account of these last words and their effect. She gracefully addressed the people from the scaffold with a voice somewhat overcome by weakness, but which gathered strength as she went on. She begged her hearers to forgive her if she had not used them all with becoming gentleness, asked for their prayers. It was needless, she said, to relate why she was there, but she prayed the judge of all the world to have compassion on those who condemned her. And she begged them to pray for the king in whom she'd always found great kindness, fear of God, and love of his subjects. The spectators could not refrain from tears. Uh, the swordsman, she hands the pouch of money to because she's given money. Hey, thanks for beheading me in 35 seconds. Here's your pay. Just cruel. And uh, she lines it up and he makes a sound somewhere else and beheads her in one clean stroke and she is brought her body is brought into St. Peter Ad Benicula right on the mm-hmm. tower grounds that we snuck into mm-hmm. with the tour and buried that day and word around London is that she died boldly people are really talking like yeah she was screwed and history will not be kind to her in the after effects but there are legions of people out there who do know the truth even in that time period. Luckily, some of these people are already around her daughter, Elizabeth. Some of these people will line up with Elizabeth in years from now and become her ally and help her along her path. Anne's legacy really is Elizabeth the first and stay tuned for that. My bonus divorce this month coming next Monday, May 27th and involves our fair princess, Elizabeth. Oh, yeah. And 11 days later, Henry marries Jane Seymour. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's debated. 11 days, you say? 11 days. A uh, long time. Had a lot of time to grieve over, you know, her murder. I mean, it's hotly debated whether or not he went in with the intent to kill Anne and marry Jane. But after the her downfall and how humiliated publicly he is. He is so crushed that now he's got to turn the script to, of course I'm virile. I don't have limp dick and my poetry is awesome. And I mean, was the, uh, you know, when there's a royal wedding today, it is a big, big deal. Like, did they make it a, was it, was the wedding an attempt to. No, the wedding was very tiny uh, and so he did not, and he did not coronate her as queen and said, we will do it after the baby's born. He's learned from the last two marriages. Um, <laughs> he has not learned from the last two marriages. Well, I mean, he has. He didn't coronate her. And by the time she could be ready to be coronated because she'd given birth to the future king, she was dead of sepsis 12 days later. So, like, I think once Henry started down the journey of this path, no one was there to balance out his better demons. He's got Cromwell. And Chapuis and pro Seymour. There's no one there to be like, dude. And he really does only get crueler and meaner. Like, but the suspicion and the threat to his male kingliness. Anne Boleyn got screwed. Mm -hmm. She was murdered. And I love her and she's the queen of my heart. That is Trashy Tudors number one. (laughs) Of course, we open at the close. There's 1536 in the life of Anne Boleyn. Hmm. I'm going to go pour a drink now. <laughs> Dude, but I've laid like nine seeds in for fun, trashy tutors. You've, I don't know if you've ever heard that story that way before. Would you no, I, I, I never have. I mean, it's harrowing. It's the, harrowing. I mean, because, you know, we've been to the tower and... So having a sort of, which I, until we got there, thought was a tower. Uh, oh, you were cute. Like, oh, yeah, we'll spend an hour there. Yeah. I yeah. figured there were stairs. It's No, it's a castle. 
in oldie London. Um, that I happened to cry all the way through. Yeah, you did. I petted the walls. Here's where this happened. I had to buy the tickets to go in because you were overcome with emotion at being near it. It was neat. That was a neat place. It really was a neat place. Did you enjoy Trashy Tutors? Uh, yes. As uh, much as you've enjoyed it the other 400 times. That, I've... It's not okay. new material for me. Listeners, did you enjoy <laughs> Trashy the Tutors? Better, There's the, better the actual question. question. Who are my tutor tribe? Who are my Trashy Tutor tribe with me? Who's listening? And if you're listening, what Trashy Tutors do you want to hear about? I got this. Let me know who your suggestions are. Thank you for tuning in and your support, and y'all rock. Yeah. Keep it tutor, Trashy. Bye. And thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us, Stacy and Alicia, with a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at CarbonMade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. Check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram and definitely drop into Ratsy's store anytime you're in Oberlin, Ohio. You can contact us at trashydivorces at gmail.com or find us on the World Wide Web at trashydivorces.com. If you need more trash candy in your life, our Patreon community includes some of the very best humans around and thousands of hours of bonus content at every level of support. Join the fun at patreon.com slash trashydivorces. Interested in some Trashy Divorces swag? Check out our merch shop and Trash Panda Enthusiasm Society at bit.ly slash trashy gear. Want to advertise with us? Reach out to sales at advertisecast.com for more information. And last but not least, come play with us on social media. I keep most of our Trashy Divorces Instagram hopping. Stacy and I share it up over on Facebook, including our Trashy Divorces podcast discussion group. Come join us over there. And thanks again, everybody, for listening. Keep it trashy, y'all.